I've been wishing, as I sat here and listened to these excellent sermons of these four brethren tonight, how I wish that all the boys in this world and every man in this world could hear sermons such as these and to give them some concepts, some ideas, and some standards toward which to work. How fortunate are we, the men and boys of the church, to be able to be so instructed and inspired in our personal lives and our church work. I should like to address a few words to our executive officers, particularly the bishops and stake presidents who are the common judges in Israel. I will read for you the words of the prophets and the president of the church in an earlier century. President John Taylor is quoted as saying, Furthermore, I have heard of bishops who have been seeking to cover up the iniquities of men. I tell them, in the name of God, that they will have to bear them themselves and meet the judgment. And I tell you that any man who tampers with iniquity, he will have to bear that iniquity. And if any of you want to partake of the sins you name or uphold them, you will have to bear them. Do you hear, you bishops and stake presidents? God will require it at your hands. You are not placed in positions to tamper with the principles of righteousness, nor to cover up the infamies or corruptions of men. I read further from George Q. Cannon, who was also in the First Presidency. The Spirit of God would undoubtedly be so grieved that it would forsake not only those who are guilty of the actions, but it would withdraw itself from those who would suffer them to be done in our midst, unchecked and unrebuked. And from the President of the Church down through the entire ranks of the priesthood, there would be a loss of the Spirit of God, a withdrawal of your gifts and blessings and power, because they are not taking the proper measures to check and expose the iniquity. Now, brethren, we could, we could quote many others of the brethren in the same vein. We are concerned that too many times the interviewing leader in his personal sympathies for the transgressor and in his love perhaps for the family of the transgressor is inclined to waive the discipline which that transgressor demands. Too often a transgressor is forgiven and all penalties waived when that person should have been disfellowshipped or excommunicated. Too often a sinner is disfellowshipped when he or she should have been excommunicated. Remember that President Taylor said you will have to carry that sin yourself. Are you willing to do it, brethren? 
Do you remember what was said by the prophet Alma? Now, he said, repentance could not come unto men except there were a punishment. Ponder on that for a moment. Have you realized that? There can be no forgiveness without real and total repentance. And there can be no repentance without punishment. It, for this is as eternal as is the soul. One more thought. The president or the bishop makes the determination and the counselors or the high council accept his determination or reject it. But they do not vote it in as you would many ordinary things. Please remember these things when somebody comes before you who has broken the laws of God. It is so easy to let our sympathies carry us out of proportion. And when a man has committed sin, he must suffer. It's an absolute requirement, not by the bishop, but it's a requirement by nature and by the very uh, part of a man. This discipline is especially applicable to adults and married people, and more especially to those who have been to the temple. They must understand that they cannot tamper with the holy laws of God. Another matter that came to my attention the other day is a partial quote from Joseph Smith. Sometimes we find members who have an overdose of false pride. They want their way or they will quit. You ever seen anybody leave the ward and never darken the door of the ward building because of a little altercation perhaps with the bishop or with someone there? They want their way or they will quit. We have no chance to be lifted up in the pride of our hearts, said the prophet with regard to the position we occupy. If the president of the church or either of his counselors or of the apostles or any other men feel in their hearts that God cannot do without them, that is especially important in order to carry on the work of the Lord. He stands on slippery ground. I heard Joseph Smith say that Oliver Cowdery who was the second apostle in this church, said to him, If I leave this church, it will fall. Said Joseph, Oliver, you try it. Oliver tried it. <laughs> he fell. The kingdom of God did not. I've been acquainted with other apostles in my day and time who felt that the Lord could not do without them, but the Lord got along with his work without them. I say to all men, Jew and Gentile, great and small, rich and poor, that the Lord Almighty has power within himself and is not dependent upon any man to carry on his work. When he does call men to do his work, they must put their trust in him. 
Now, my brothers and my brethren of the priesthood, there's something very special about meeting together on this priesthood meeting time during each conference when the fathers and the sons are together and come from distances to hear the program of the conference. I see among you many fine young men and it pleases me greatly to see the budding of those who will before long be the fathers and the leaders, the bishops and the stake presidents and the missionaries as well on their way up. I realize that before me are hundreds of young men, many of whom are deacons. I remember when I was a deacon, been a long time ago, however, I thought it was a great honor to be a deacon. My father was always considerate of my responsibilities and always permitted me to take the buggy and horse to gather fast offerings. My responsibility included that part of the town in which I lived, but it was quite a long walk to the homes and a sack of flour or a bottle, a bottle of fruit or vegetables or the bread became quite heavy as it accumulated. So the buggy was very comfortable and functional. We've changed to cash in later days, but it was commodities in my day. It was a very great honor to do this service for my Heavenly Father. And though times have changed, uh, when money is given generally instead of commodities, it's still a great honor to perform this service. I am a deacon. I am always proud that I am a deacon. When I see the apostles march up to the stand in a solemn assembly to bless the sacrament, and others of the general authorities step up to the sacrament tables to get the bread and the water and humbly pass it to all the people in the assembly and then return to their emptied, return their emptied receptacles. I'm very proud that I am a deacon and a teacher and a priest. In our special meetings in the temple, when the brethren of the general authorities come up to the sacrament table to bless then pass the sacrament, then my heart beats more audibly again, and I'm grateful that I hold the sacred ironic priesthood and have the privilege of taking care of the sacrament. Then I remember it was Jesus Christ himself who broke the bread and blessed it and passed it to his apostles. Then I am proud that I can do likewise. And I commend to you that which President Tanner has just said and the other brethren about being worthy to pass the sacrament and reverend. For you fathers, I should like to quote from an article of Walter McPeak. Boys need lots of heroes like Lincoln and Washington, but they also need to have some heroes close by. They need to know some man of towering strength and basic integrity personally. They need to meet him on the street, to hike and camp with him, to see him close to home every day, down-to-earth situations, to feel close enough to him to ask questions and to talk things over man-to-man -man with him. Now, I hope that every father provides that kind of closeness to his son. I hope that every father provides a home evening for his family 
and opportunity for all sons and daughters to express themselves, help plan the family life, offer the family prayers, to take part in the family home evenings. There is real purpose in life, boys. Your Heavenly Father has helped to provide a world for you and a life for you. It can be a notable one or it can be a casual one. That's up to you. And by the time you are 12 years of age or older, much is expected of you. You are not living in the life of luck. It is the life of pluck, a life of effort and planning. He said that the, in the Jewish law, a boy at 12 is given nearly adult status. I suppose that's the reason the Lord Jesus Christ remained at the temple when his family took him there and he talked, and re, re, he talked there with, intelligently with the community leaders and the doctors and the uh, leading people. Now with such a father who is devoted to his son, it is up to each son to begin to firm up a life that will be pleasing to his heavenly father, to his earthly father and mother, and to all the people with whom he comes in contact. In your growing up, there are many calls for courage, as you have heard so eloquently tonight from President Romney. You're young with your life before you, said the chaplain on a sinking ship. Here, take this, he said. And with these words, the chaplain shoved his life preserver into the hands of an enlisted man and a few moments later went down with the ship. The date was February 3rd, 1943. The tragedy was the torpedoing of the American troop ship Dutchester. The chaplain was one of four, all of whom said in effect the same thing, gave up their life preservers and sacrificed their lives. One was a Catholic, two were Protestants, one was a Jewish. Their heroism was a dramatic example of chaplain's action in an emergency, and it has become known everywhere. But chaplain's day-to-day -day service for the men in the armed forces is less well understood. It is important to all of us. Should any of you young men get into the military, I want you to know that we have LDS chaplains also in the armed services. And we hope you'll stay close to them because generally they are men of power and strength. It is not necessary to wait until one is legal age to begin to build his life. Should begin in his infancy and his childhood. It's interesting to note that Jesus, the Lord, was only 12 when he went to the temple and only 33 when he was crucified. It is interesting to note that the prophet Joseph Smith received his divine revelation at less than 14 years. He was only 18 years when Moroni came to him to visit him and tell him of the plates. He was only 22 years of age when he received the gold plates and the great responsibility that came with them. He was only 24 years old when he had published the Book of Mormon and a little over 24 
when he organized the kingdom of God upon the earth according to Revelation. It's also most interesting to know that his first apostles were young men, relatively young, from 29 to 36. It's almost unbelievable how young and yet mature and strong and personable. The making out of a boy, the making of a man out of a boy. You've all seen missionaries go and come, thousands, tens of thousands of them. Missionary work does this if they will yield. How often have you said goodbye to a 19-year-old boy going into the mission field and two years later meeting a man returning who stood tall and strong and high and purposeful? The leader of a big concern in this country answered the question propounded to him on the question, how do you make a man of a boy? The question was termed slightly differently. What is it that makes a man a real man? I liked his answer. There are many things, but perhaps the inner voice he listened to as a young boy was most important of all. That voice we call conscience, and it directs one's thoughts. What one thinks may find expression in actions. Since repeated actions form habits, the thoughts you're thinking and the things you're doing at this moment tend to reveal the kind of a man you will be. Were I asked what a boy needs to do today in order to be a man worthy of the name tomorrow, I would say, never lie and never cheat. A liar is a weakling. A cheat is both a weakling and a thief. In finding the courage to honor truth in all things, you are on the way to self-mastery. Work hard. Your mind is a storehouse and you stock the shelves. Stock them with quality goods. Remember that the habits of work and study you form today are the ones you will live with tomorrow. Have fun. Play active games which require stamina and sportsmanship. Aside, abide by the rules yourself. Demand that others do likewise. Honor your creator. God is the source of all good. The ideals on which the nation is founded stem from him who is the author of liberty. You can express appreciation for your priceless heritage best by living according to the code of duty, honor, country, and God. If you do these and in all things do your best, the mind and heart and soul you develop will one day be those of a real man. It is the stance that counts. When one wants to be tall, he starts by stretching himself heavenward. If he wants to be noble, he puts on his noble garments. If he wants to fly, he must get wings. If he wants to be righteous, he needs to put on the cloak of righteousness. There's a story told of a Lord George Hall of an earlier time. It is a mythical story, believe it or not, but at least take the lesson if you find one there. This mythical story comes to us which records some incidents in the life of a noted man of the world 
Lord George Hall. Lord George had led an evil life. He had been a drunkard, a gambler, and a cheat in business, and his face reflected the life he had led. It was a very evil face. One day he fell in love with a simple country girl to whom he proposed marriage. Jenny Meir told him that she could never marry a man whose face was so repulsive and so evil-looking, and also that when she did marry, she wanted a man with a saint-like face, which was the mirror of true love. Following a custom of the day, Lord George went down to Mr. Aeneas in Bond Street, London. Aeneas made waxen masks for people, and his skill was so, uh, his skill was so art perfect that the person's identity was completely hidden. As proof of his skill, it is said that many spendthrift debtors equipped with his masks could pass among their creditors unrecognized. Aeneas went to his storeroom, selected a mask, heated it over a lamp, fixed it to Lord George's face, and when Lord George looked in the glass, he had the face of a saint who loved dearly. So altered was his appearance that Jenny Meir was soon wooed and won. He bought a little cottage in the country, almost hidden in an arbor of roses, with a tiny garden spot. From then on, his entire life changed. He became interested in nature. He found sermons in stones, books in brooks, and good in everything. Formerly, he was blasé, and life had no interest for him. Now, he was engrossed in kindliness and the world around him. He was not content with starting life anew, but tried to make amends for the past. Through a confidential solicitor, he restored his ill-gotten gains to those whom he had cheated. Each day brought new refinements to his character, more beautiful thoughts to his soul. By accident, his former companions discovered his identity. They visited him in his garden and urged him to return to his old, evil life. When he refused, he was attacked, and the mask was torn from his face. He hung his head. Here was the end of all. Here was the end of his newfound life and his love dream. As he stood with bowed head, with the mask at his feet on the grass, his wife rushed across the garden and threw herself on her knees in front of him. When she looked up at him, what do you suppose she found? Lo, line for line, feature for feature, the face was the same as that of the mask. Lines of beauty, regular features. There's no doubt that the life one leads and the thoughts one thinks are registered plainly in their faces. Perhaps I have time to read a few lines here from an article which I thought might be of interest to you. In every town, in every street, in nearly every house, you meet a little imp who wriggles in with half a sneer and half a gain, grin and climbs upon your rocking chair or creeps upon you anywhere. And when he gets you very near, just whispers something in your ear, some rumor of another's shame, 
and little hearsay is his name. He never really claims to know. He's only heard that it is so. And then he whispers it to you, so you will go and whisper too. For if enough is passed along, the rumor, even though it's wrong, if John tells Henry, Henry Joe, and Joe tells Mary, Mary Flo, and Flo tells Mildred, Mildred Ruth, it very soon may pass for truth. You understand this little elf, he doesn't say he knows himself. He doesn't claim it's really true. He only whispers it to you because he knows you'll go and tell some other whisperer as well. And so before the setting sun, he gets the devil's mischief done. And there's less of joy and good round your little neighborhood. Look out for hearsay. When he sneaks inside the house, when slander speaks, just ask the proof in every case. Just ask the name and date and place. And if he says he's only heard, declare you don't believe a word and tell him you will not repeat the silly chatter of the street. However, gossip, smile, and smirk refuse to do their devil's work. Brethren, I repeat, I wonder if any of you, brethren, have ever before sung in a male chorus as beautiful as the one this night of 212 male voices. It's been wonderful to meet with you. It's glorious to serve the Lord in this capacity. How privileged we are to hold this precious priesthood which is greater than held by kings and emperors. How wonderful it is for every boy to have this privilege and with his brothers and his father. May God bless you all that the uh, things that have been said this night in this meeting may sink deep into our hearts and that all of us may profit by them. This is the work of the Lord. I want you boys and you men to know this is the work of the Lord and I know it. And I want you to know that I know it. And I think you know it. And together we will go forward to meet our great destiny. God bless you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We have just finished singing a hymn with a most interesting title. Oh, say what is truth. Truth has been defined as a knowledge of things past, present, and future. How may we gain a knowledge of past, present, and future? Knowledge of things past comes by careful study. Knowledge of things present comes from careful observation. Knowledge of things future comes from being aware of prophetic utterances. I should like to talk about truth. As I've flown over the beautiful land of South America, time and time again, I've been impressed with the aerial view of the mighty Amazon River. 
Not only is this Amazon the greatest river in the world, but even many of its tributaries are great rivers in their own right and are navigable for many miles. One interesting feature about these rivers is their different colors. The Madeira, for example, is called a white river because its waters carry fine clay particles along its course. The black color of the Rio Negro comes from decaying organic materials picked up in the forest through which it passes. Still other rivers flow over white sands and often appear emerald green or turquoise blue. Just as these rivers are colored by the substances picked up as they flow along, so the streams of our thoughts are colored by the material through which they are channeled. The scriptures indicate that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The material we read has a great effect on the nature of our thoughts. We therefore need to be concerned not only with avoiding unwholesome literature, but we must fill our minds with pure knowledge, and we must see that our children do the same. That's why we've been commanded to search the scriptures. The prophet Joseph Smith challenged us to learn more about the Savior and his plan for us when he said, Search the scriptures, search the revelations, and ask your heavenly Father in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to manifest the truth unto you. And if you do it with an eye single to his glory, nothing doubting, he will answer you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You will then know for yourselves and will not be dependent on man for the knowledge of God, nor will there be any room for speculation. For when men receive their instruction from him that made them, they know how he will save them. Through our scripture study, we will consider, come to consider these great leaders of the scriptures as our personal friends, and their messages will take on new and added meaning. We'll learn that the people of days gone by were not so different from people we know today. The living prophet of our Heavenly Father, President Spencer W. Kimball, is a great student of the scriptures and a living example to each of us. On one occasion, he counseled us, when we get casual in our relationships with God, and when it seems that no divine ear is listening and no divine voice is speaking, we are far, far away. If we will immerse ourselves in the scriptures, the distance narrows and the spirituality returns, counsels President Kimball. May I quote an oft-repeated illustration that is worthy of repetition? David the shepherd boy visited the battlefield where the Philistines were engaged in combat against the house of Israel. He heard the boast of the Philistine champion Goliath, who defied the armies of Israel. Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, David asked. 
And he said to Saul, Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. But thou art but a youth, Saul replied, and this Philistine is a man of war. I have killed both a lion and a bear single-handedly. The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will also deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine, assured David. With Saul's blessing, David moved to the field of battle. And when Goliath saw David, he taunted, Come to me and I'll give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, unto the beasts of the field. David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. I think it's significant that the scriptures indicate this young boy who was on the Lord's errand did not merely saunter nor walk. But he actually ran and conquered. David had faith. The scriptures are replete with examples of other great men of God who maintained this same rapid pace and felt this same sense of urgency as they served the Lord. When Abraham saw three messengers of God approaching, he ran to meet them. When the angel announced, the birth of the Savior to the shepherds. These men came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. When Mary Magdalene entered the empty tomb and ran to tell Peter and John what had happened, the two apostles ran both together to see. The good news of the gospel throughout the ages has been accompanied with a rapid pace and a sense of urgency. The prophet Joseph Smith exhibited this haste as well as have all modern-day prophets. This same sense of urgency is apparent in increased intensity in the life of our living prophet, Spencer W. Kimball who has challenged us to lengthen our stride in furthering the work of the kingdom of God. He's running to the battle, as did David. He has sounded the trumpet, and we must all respond. Now, if I may, I would like to return to the analogy of the rivers. Some rivers are sluggish and meander through low places. Their waters are dirty and full of debris. These do not furnish the electricity that brighten our cities and serve our many needs. Other rivers flow down from the high places, adding tributaries to their volume as they flow. Their current is strong, and as a result, these furnish electricity for our needs, and great ships sail upon them, carrying the products of man's labor. Where do the streams of our thoughts flow? Are we reading the scriptures? Are we listening to the counsel of our present-day prophet? Are we catching the vision of really living the gospel? Are we feeling the sense of urgency 
an urgency to repent, to share the gospel, to prepare for the second coming of the Savior, to obey all God's commandments. As we read the scriptures, our thoughts are lifted heavenward by the counsel of prophets. Great prophets have abounded in the land during the course of history. Abraham was a seer, and he passed the blessings he received on to his posterity through the ages. Isaac responded, as did Jacob and Joseph. Prophetic utterances were given us by Jeremiah and Isaiah and Malachi and others. Revelations were given to us by John. These were all great prophets. But there is a prophet in the land today who gives prophetic utterances, reveals the mind of the Lord to us, and through his seership, propels us to the future. This prophet is the voice of the Lord in the world today. From whence comes his inspiration? From the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church, which bears his name. The Savior lives. He has restored the church in its fullness. Two categories of listeners are hearing my voice today. Present members of the church, future members of the church. The scriptures talk about you. They say, your eye shall see. The scriptures say, your ears shall hear. The scriptures say, your heart shall be penetrated. And the scriptures say, you will respond. Why not color your thoughts with eternal prophetic utterances and truths? this very day. Come catch the glow, the warmth of the gospel. There is a living prophet in the land today who represents the Savior upon the earth. His prophetic utterances are scripture. They have a sense of urgency. And I bear you this witness, humbly, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. In response to a recent greeting of, how are things going, a longtime acquaintance responded with, if I can just get through this month, I think things will be all right. This comment reminded me that over the years, this has been a continuing attitude with this man. 
I have never heard him express any pleasure or satisfaction in now or today. This brief association brought to mind a notion commonly shared by many that the best of life is just ahead, over the next hill, a few years away, retirement, tomorrow, next month, when I turn 16, or next summer. We become actively engaged in the pastime of conditioning ourselves to believe that happiness and achievement are always somewhere in the future. There is an attitude of tolerating today, even looking past today in anticipation of a better tomorrow. To people so inclined, the better future may never come. The pleasant future belongs to those who properly use today. We need to find the abundant life as we go along. How can we be happy tomorrow if our nows are filled with self-inflicted unhappinesses and unwise delays? Generally speaking, those inclined to count their daily blessings have more to count because they help make more possible as they learn gratitude. A constant waiting for a brighter future may cause us to lose the beautiful today. Some spend so much time getting, to, getting ready to live for an unknown future, too late they discover there is no time to live. Very often in our anxiousness for the joys of the future, we run away from the very things we are wanting and needing today. An appropriate examination of the passing moment will prove it leads to eternity. We need to constantly remind ourselves eternity is in process now. When the wise counsel, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause, and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness, was said, the time structure referred only to now, today, and without delay. How unwise are those who want to delay repentance until tomorrow. With each passing day, the process becomes more difficult to pursue. Most of our hurts and misunderstandings could be cleared away if treated today instead of waiting for them to go away tomorrow. To live more fully each hour and to glean the most from each day is wisdom. How unwise we are to waste our todays when they determine the significance of our tomorrows. We should wisely live a day at a time because that is all we have. While our families are available to us, we should take time to develop oneness, unity, and character. Girls of today are the women of tomorrow. Boys of today are the men of tomorrow. The kind of men and women we produce for the future depends on how they are taught to use today. How fortunate a child is to be raised in a home where love, respect, Honor, integrity, and commitment are appropriately displayed each day. Mothers and fathers, we invite you to enjoy the fruits 
of improved parent-child relationships beginning now. Mothers and fathers classified as truly wonderful by appreciative children earn that rating by daily performance rather than by threat, procrastination, or purchase. We never give our children a lift when we give them a free ride. If we have good health, we should enjoy it. If we do not have good health, we should begin now to anxiously trying to improve it. What a thrill it is to see people all around achieving, conquering, and overcoming through proper daily action, self-discipline, and total commitment. Progression and achievement belong to those who have learned to use the opportunity of now. Our strides of today will determine our locations tomorrow. Let me share with you an example of the results of daily determination and performance. In 1960, the Olympics were held in Melbourne, Australia. There on the winner's platform in the spotlight one day stood a beautiful, tall, blonde American girl. She was being presented a gold medal, symbolic of first place in worldwide competition. As she stood there, some boys whistled, and others were heard to say, there's a gal who has everything. Tears ran down her cheeks as she accepted the recognition. Many thought she was touched by the victory ceremony. A thing most of the audience did not know was the story of her determination, self-discipline, and daily action. At the age of five, she had polio. When the disease left her body, she couldn't use her arms or legs. Her parents took her daily to a swimming pool where they hoped the water would help hold her arms up as she tried to use them again. When she could lift her arm out of the water with her own power, she cried for joy. Then her goal was to swim the width of the pool, then the length, then several lengths. She kept on trying, swimming, enduring, day after day after day, until she won the gold medal for the butterfly stroke, one of the most difficult of all swimming strokes in Melbourne, Australia. What if Shelley Mann had not been encouraged to achieve at age five and to continue and overcome? What a tremendous asset were parents who assisted her in the importance of now and today in preparation for tomorrow. In recalling some of the Savior's well-known teachings, the word now can be appropriately added to emphasize their impact. If ye love me, keep my commandments now. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature now. Come follow me now. Truly, if we love God, we will serve him now. There are those among us, though they would deny it, who are hungry for fellowship and activity in the church today. They need us and we need them. It is our duty and blessing to help them find the way now. We and they are God's sheep, 
and we can best be fed and led together. Today is the time to let them know we care and that the Lord loves them. He stands anxious to forgive and welcome in the processes of repentance. God, give us the courage to act now. There is an urgency today for all of us to take time for God. Wise are those who will use God's ways to ensure his eternal companionship tomorrow. The time to become acquainted and know God is today. To achieve true abundance, life must be lived a day at a time in God's companionship. No time for God. No time for God? What fools we are to clutter up our lives with common things and leave without heart's gate the Lord of life and life itself, our God. No time for God? As soon to say, no time to eat or sleep or love or die. Take time for God or you shall dwarf your soul. And when the angel death comes knocking at your door, a poor misshapen thing you'll be to step into eternity. As we take time for God, we will become more like him. I think it was Robert Louis Stevenson who said, Saints are sinners who kept trying. It was our Savior Jesus Christ who said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Brothers and sisters, the message is loud and clear. If we work, serve, improve now, each hour, each day will lead us onward and upward to a significant tomorrow in his paths. Today is the time for decision. Now is the time for action. Believe me when I tell you God is well pleased when he sees us using our time wisely. With some he is not well pleased because they fear being anxiously in, they fear being anxiously engaged in his paths. Some of us who are willing to listen to a prophet's voice, even President Spencer W. Kimball, are disappointing to God when we lack the courage and desire to apply the counsel now, even today. We make a big mistake when we allow ourselves to believe it will be easier to start back tomorrow rather than today. One of the easiest ways back is to come back with others. Some of the greatest pleasures we can know are to render special human services on purpose today and let them be found out by accident some tomorrow. By adopting this way of life, our friends will lift us each day as we see their new attitudes, accomplishments, and enjoy their associations. Just for today, Lord, for tomorrow and its needs, I do not pray. Keep me, my God, from a stain of sin just for today. Let me both diligently work and duly pray. Let me be kind in word and deed just for today. Let me be slow to do my will, prompt to obey. Oh, keep me in thy loving care just for today. 
Let me no wrong or idle word unthinking say, set thou a seal upon my lips just for today. So for tomorrow and its needs I do not pray, but keep me, guide and love me, Lord, just for today. These choice words of Sybil F. Partridge should be an inspiration to all of us. What a blessing it would be in so many lives if just for today we could look to God instead of gold. If just for today the craze for power, possession, advantage, and world status could be replaced with eternal pursuits and treasures. When we have plans or tendencies that are money-oriented and look forward to all the things that money will buy, it's a good time to stop and ask if in the pursuit we are losing the things money won't buy. In our daily commitments to money and the accumulation of worldly goods and acclaim to ensure a happy future, we may be passing by in our daily conduct the things we are trying to find. Some who are missing quality life as they go along may well miss it altogether. Remember, tomorrow is connected with today, and what we do with today determines the tomorrow. I share from Alma chapter 34, verses 32 and 33, For behold, this is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is a day for men to perform their labors. Do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. The best of life is not just around the corner. When I go on a mission, after marriage, after the house is paid for, after the recession is over, or after the children are raised, the best of life is now. Today is the time to really start living. Today is the time to get a head start on tomorrow. The future belongs to those who know how to live now. There are no unimportant days in the lives of the anxiously engaged. There is a tendency on the part of many today worldwide to postpone appropriate actions and commitments until international unrest settles. To those so inclined, may I suggest, his business must and does roll forward. It knows no boundary. It knows no time barriers. The time and climate for action is now. There is an urgency for us to thrust in our sickles and prepare the earth for his purposes. Brothers and sisters, listen again with me to his timeless invitation. Yes, to his master's touch. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. God help us to forsake 
are procrastinating ways and straightway follow him. Now is the time to serve the Lord. I bear witness to you that I know these truths better today than I did yesterday. And I leave you my testimony now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.